So welcome to Colcast, episode six. I'm Logan. And I'm Nate, and we are here with our guest, Esteban, aka Noopy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I was, Yeah, you were gonna do the first question. I said that and then yeah, I was I like, know. all right, and now then, listen to me, everybody. I have a question. So <clears throat> Esteban, thank you for joining us, first of all. Um, I wanted to know, and I feel like a lot of people actually already know who you are. Um, and even if they don't know who you are, they probably have seen some of your work because you're very big in blogging and stuff. And um, before I had even met you, I feel like I've read like a ton of your blogs and stuff already just on Vonehub because you're like all over Vonehub, whatever. You have a few, few things on Vonehub, but yeah. I, f- I feel like you're everywhere. But um, <clears throat> I wanted to know like what, what got you into hacking? Like tell us a little bit about your upbringing and whatnot and, and how you got to hacking. Let's start there. Yeah, so it was a bit on and off. So probably my first experience uh, looking into hacking was when I was in high school and I was kind of into web dev at the time. And um, while I was looking at just general web development resources, I ran across this website called um, hackthissite.org, which is kind of, it has a lot of uh, training exercises and and stuff to learn about web hacking. So um, I had a lot of fun with that. I went through a lot of the challenges, but um, my interest kind of tapered off and it didn't really uh, fire back up until I was already um, in the information security industry um, where I started doing uh, SOC work, Security Operations Center, and being more exposed to hacking again, that's when I really kind of reignited my interest. So you, you were in a SOC for how long? Um, so I had two what I would call SOC jobs, so probably about three years total. Okay, cool. Uh, oh, could you get closer to the mic a little bit? Too? Yeah, yeah, for or sure. Or just bring the mic closer to wherever you were naturally yeah. at. Yeah, no, here's good. Um, so... Did you like your sock jobs? Because I've heard from, I've never worked in a sock before, um, but I think it seems kind of interesting, but a lot of people say they hated their sock job. Yeah, so one of the big problems with it is it's very easy to get um, burnout or more so alert fatigue because typically you're looking at a lot of logs and alerts every day, often the same ones over and over again. Uh, so it's really easy to get tired of that. Um, a lot of shops run 24 hours as well. Um, so it's not uncommon to be rotating onto nights and uh, weekends and, you know, kind of midday or early mornings. Um, and that can really take a toll on you constantly readjusting your sleep schedule every three months. Um, and then sometimes there isn't really a lot of uh, area to progress. And that depends on the org. Um, but sometimes it can kind of feel like you're just kind of stuck doing the same boring thing and you're not really learning so that's i think where that uh that feeling comes from um but i've also seen other shops do it quite well where it's easy to progress um and that you are learning new every day and is that why you sort of made the switch to like offensive security stuff because you were getting that alert fatigue or was Um, there something else that's the reason i left my first job but i ended up coming into pen testing just because uh just passion for it i found it so fun um, that it wasn't that I disliked my old job. I just really wanted to do pen test. Hmm. Like, what was some, what were what were you doing uh, that got you interested in pen testing? Like, so you're at your sock job, and then what started captivating you? Yeah, was there a catalyst? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So just once I started my sock job, I just loved learning, and I would always see alerts come in uh, for vulnerabilities or exploits that I had never heard of. Um. So what I would do is I'd go and research it. You know, I'd like, what, it, what is this vuln that it's firing this alert for? And just reading about 
all these different vulnerabilities and it just made me very interested in them. Like, I really want to know how this works. I want to try it for myself. I want to, you know, basically, you know, see the other side of what I'm seeing. Um, and then kind of going and doing that on my own, you know, with home labs or, mm. you know, training websites, uh, I found it very fun. So that's kind of what helped pursue my or help push my interest forward. Nice. What did that look kind of like you you like booted up a Cali incense or or like were you just playing with scripts at the time or Yeah, so I think it I can't remember what I did first, but yeah, it was um kind of the Vulnhub route where you download Cali, you download some vulnerable vulnerable VMs, uh, you go through walkthroughs, um you might get like uh some, you know, material like I know it's it's not super uh revered in our industry but like certified ethical hacker you know that was something i started self-studying mm. and then learning about that and watching videos on it um you know it was it's pretty interesting stuff at the time it's pretty fun yeah so. we'll get into certs in a in a minute yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's always a cert segment how do you feel about the oscp right yeah that's coming um <clears throat> so like what was your first like successful hack do you feel like like where i guess where you got a shell um, yeah, so the first time I really felt like a hacker, I think, uh, was when I was, when I wanted, when I decided I wanted to get into pen testing, um, I knew I didn't have any experience. I did go and get the OSCP, but still it was kind of, it didn't feel uh, as real quite yet. Um, so what I did is like, I want to go get experience. So um, I actually talked to my mom. Uh, who knows a lot of people in the small town I'm from. And I was like, hey, you know the um, IT manager of the high school. Can you tell, ask her if I can pen test their network for free? Oh, wow. I just want the experience. So she went to her and said, hey, uh, my son is, you know, information security professional and he wants to get more into this particular field. Can he test your network? And then she was like, yeah, sure. That's insane. So That's crazy. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to do a whole pen test. Uh, and I was able to go and basically compromise everything. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, crazy. It was, you know, it was a very successful pen test. And that's, I think that's the time I really felt like a hacker. It wasn't the first time that I had exploited a vulnerability, mm -hmm. um, but it was that time, the first time that I went from, you know, initial access to full compromise, going through the, basically the entire kill chain. And it was really satisfying. Nice. Do you remember like the vector and all that? I know that's like. Yeah, I mean, actually, I don't know. I don't want to share too much just because. No, go ahead. No, who no, knows? no, no, probably still no, vulnerable. No, tell us everything. You work here now. I mean, nah. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask about your blog. You've been doing that for how long now? What, like four years or something? Yeah, so I started blogging in 2015, I believe. Yeah, okay. Or maybe 20. Yeah, 2015 was my first blog. Um, and when I started blogging, my current employer actually did not allow it. So I was kind of doing it uh, under the radar and I wasn't really very popular anyways, so it didn't really uh, get any notice. But when I left that employer, um, I kind of felt like the shackles were off and I could just start talking about the things I wanted to talk about. Um, so I just found it was a great way uh, for me to learn too. Because of course, you know, saying, you know, reading something and writing it down yourself there, you know, you learn more as you go and share those ideas or kind of say it again in your own words, uh, you learn quite a lot. So I found I learned more uh, when I was writing about what I was doing. 
Yeah, that's super smart. I think it's called like the Feynman technique or something. I don't know if it, I mean, it's just sort of general knowledge at this point, but Richard Feynman, I want to say, like this physicist really advocates for that, like making a presentation. That's something that I've started doing too, is just if there's a topic I really want to learn about, I'll try to like set a goal, like I'm going to make a blog post or I'm going to do a talk or something. And you've done talks too, right? Like uh, B-Sides and stuff? Yeah, so my first one uh, was B-Sides Puerto Rico. Uh, which was really interesting because actually the hurricane hit when it was scheduled. So I ended up going still, but it was rescheduled uh, months later. Um, but yeah, that was my first time. Then I've also done uh, B-Sides Denver, B-Sides Rochester, and also uh, NOLACON in New Orleans. Were they all on the same topic or did you have different topics for the uh, other cons? I had my, my B-Sides Puerto Rico was a different topic, but all the other ones were the same topic. It was about the, uh, it was like Apple script thing, right? Or uh, so Angry what I, Hippo? Yeah, yeah. So what I ended up doing um, was I gave my talk. It was called Ducky in the Middle, um, Injecting Keystrokes into Plain Text Protocols. And it was just some kind of uh, research I did in my free time where I found a couple of apps. And what they, they both offered basically was um, like mouse and keyboard sharing software. So Hippo Remote, which was a Mac app, would allow you to use your iPhone as a remote uh, keyboard or mouse. And then I also did some research on Synergy, which is a software to share your keyboard and mouse across uh, various systems of different OSs. Um, So I managed to find uh, some vulnerabilities in both of those. And then I kind of just documented my research and developed exploitation tools for both of them. Nice. Did you do those in Python? Yeah, so everything I wrote was in Python. Python is still definitely my number one language. I pretty much have written everything in Python. Like, do you um, do you enjoy how much? Like, how much do you enjoy Dev versus like pen testing? Like, are you one that likes Dev more? I think I like <clears throat> the operations side of it more, um, but development is definitely something I enjoy as well. And I feel like it it helps operations, and that's enough of a reason to do it. Is that you know, it, it makes you be better at, you know, doing uh, pen testing when you can develop tools quickly or just develop tools in general. What do you mean by operations? Just sort of like the workflow, like how things Yeah, work yeah. Together? So like just, you know, the hands-on keyboard of just going through the pen test life cycle. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then you wrote a tool in Go recently. What made you decide to switch just because like Go was more functional for the purpose? Yeah, so I recently wrote an implant in Go. And the reason why I chose Go um, was because Python, um, I wanted my tool to run on Windows. And there's only a few ways to really get Python to run on Windows. And typically that's using um, PyInstaller or Py2Xe, um, which are good tools, but they have a couple disadvantages. One is your binaries are always gonna be huge. They're always gonna be really big because you're taking the entire Python language basically mm-hmm. and then putting that in the binary before you put anything else in it. Mm-hmm. So it creates these huge binaries and um, because malware is so often created using Python and it's really easy to do, a lot of AVs have just flagged um, PyInstaller, Py2Xe, just the core functionality of them by AV or just, or even maybe not uh, put them as malware, but put them as suspicious. So it kind of is a strike against you detection wise um, because a lot of, you know, malware is made this way. So I I wanted to avoid uh, having that happen uh, to my implant. Yeah, Marcello and um, 
God, Shane is working on something similar. It seems like a lot of people are going this like Iron Python embedded language route. Like mm -hmm. you're putting instead of using, like you said, throwing the entire Python interpreter inside an EXE, you're loading it in memory using C sharp. Yeah. Which... So I believe I don't know uh, all about Silent Trinity, but I know that that's how uh, Marcello does it. Is mm -hmm. yeah, his his actual implant is in Iron Python. But when you load it, usually you have some sort of like stage zero, uh, like C sharp or whatever that just acts as a loader yeah. uh, to load everything in memory. So you're not actually dropping, you know, compiled Python on disk. You're dropping some little loader. Yeah, or like, like a, a dropper or something. Yeah. yeah, that seems super useful just because that, that was something I was running into, too. I wanted to start making my own Python rat. And I was like, wait, I have to compile this whole thing. That seems awful. Yeah. So with Py when you go pure Python, I think you... Uh, you can't totally avoid that. Um, so yeah, I just felt like Go was better for, for what I wanted to do. Nice. And then you, you made a like really good implant. Like you, um, you were showing me some of the stuff that you did, like uh, dropping it through a .png file, I think. Yeah, so um, I originally wrote this about a year ago, uh, and then I just kind of been building on top of it ever since. Um, so yeah, one of the interesting things about how the stager works is when it actually downloads uh, the binary, it downloads it as a PNG or with the PNG extension, um, which you can actually just execute it. You don't have to rename it to X exe uh, before executing it. You can just execute it as a PNG, which mm. I didn't know about until recently. So but I'm like, oh, that's slash the file and it runs. Uh, so I used uh, one of the lolbins, as oh, they're okay. called, living off land binaries to do it. Um, I don't think you can do it uh, just directly from cmd.exe. I might oh. be wrong about that, but the Which way I do it is by calling a lol bin and then the file, and then it executes it as a binary. I think um, there's this guy, uh, Hexacorn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Him. He did a good uh, blog post on it where he explains uh, the order of how Windows files execute, and I can't remember all of the detail he had in there, but... He has an extremely good write-up that kind of explains why that works. Are you talking about like the path thing where it checks this path first and then this other path? It, yeah, it's not about the the paths. It's just um, I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't really explain the okay. technicals of it. But, but yeah, Hexacorn's got a lot. Yeah, of really Hexacorn. Good stuff on he blogs like seemingly every day, and it's always <laughs> good original content. So yeah, he's. If I was gonna give somebody like a blog to read or like a Twitter Twitter user to follow, he would be high on the list too. You should start blogging, Nate. I feel like you'd do good on blogs. I actually have a blog. But oh yeah, you show me. Yeah. I haven't I haven't updated it. I've been wanting to a lot. I like to I like to write about like a lot of personal like interpersonal stuff like becoming a hacker because I feel like a lot of people are in, in OSCP land and then they have no idea what happens after. Hmm. And that that's where I was for a long time. So that's what I'm passionate about. Um what tool were y'all talking about? That's not Slacker. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, oh that was Slacker. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. okay. Y'all didn't say Slacker. You said something about Hippo. Oh, Angry Hippo. That oh, was yeah. the other thing that he okay. did the talk yeah, on. Yeah, that was yeah. my, yeah, my B-sides. Okay, so we were talking talks about, about that. Yep. Yeah, so Slacker was in Go, and um, you added, like, a bunch of other cool stuff. You showed that a lot of the stuff doesn't uh, actually execute, like, command.exe for a lot of the functionality. It runs it in native Go. So it's, yeah. like, .NET APIs or what? How does Yeah, so um, Go, in this part of the language, has a lot of um, libraries to interact with the OS, not using the, the Windows API necessarily, or maybe it does on the back end, I don't know. But um, like listing files, uh, getting your current working directory, 
renaming files, um, searching files. Um, there's a lot of things I found that I can do with the Go language without executing cmd.exe, which is something I wanted to limit because that's something, of course, that is detected um, by you know EDR tools. So I wanted to, if I could, avoid starting a new process. Hmm. That's smart. Yeah, I like that. I, I wonder just like how much you could, like how far could you go with that? Like were there Go, uh, like Go interactions with potential .net, .net APIs that like you didn't find? How, I guess how extensive was your research into the capabilities of, of Go? Um, so Go has like a standard library for interacting with the OS. So most of the uh, functionality is based off of that. Um, and then stuff where it needed to, you know, call the Windows API directly. It's just kind of more a C style way of doing that, I guess. Um, mm. But yeah, I didn't get really too deep into that. I just wanted to have like a core set uh, of functionality similar to, you know, what you have just on the command line um, that you could do without having to start any new processes. Nice. That's awesome. Have you been using Slacker like for your own projects for a while now? And yeah. you've just been testing it out? Yeah, so I've been using it on pen tests when I have them. And so far it's uh, done pretty well for me. I haven't had any issues. I think the biggest uh, kind of test I had for it is I put it on a DC and I dumped LSAS, oh, wow. uh, which I believe was 300 megabytes and I'm like is this gonna work and it did mm. oh, nice. so I was able to uh, yeah dump LSAS of a 300 gigabyte uh, wait 300 process. gigabyte oh, sorry 300, yeah, okay. 300 oh, megabytes how yes. does it have that much memory sorry. <laughs> yeah the, L the LSAS process had 300 megabytes so okay that was big. that was definitely a big test um, my limitation was about a gigabyte of oh. how much data I can actually transfer but I had never got close to actually testing that limitation. So, what process, uh, what method does it did it were you using to dump LSAS? Like, um, yeah, it wasn't like so, Mimikatz. Yeah. So the way I did it is um, I tried to actually write most of uh, the functionality myself. But this was something that I actually adopted from another project. Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar as other people are with Merlin. Mm -hmm. um, so around the the tail end of developing. Um, my tool, uh, Merlin had recently uh, added the ability um, to dump LSAS uh, in Go, I think believe by calling the, um, the Windows API to dump processes. So um, I used that code in my tool. So that, that was some code that wasn't written by me that I adopted from another project. Um, but it was extremely, I believe um, Sisto was the author of that part of it part of Merlin. Uh, I know it's not, Merlin isn't his project, but he wrote uh, that part of it. Mm -hmm. So um, he really worked the magic behind that on being able to do that in Go. That was a nice pun, and, by the way. Was that? I said that was a nice pun. Pun? Yeah, you said he worked the magic, but of Merlin. Oh, I'm Merlin, sorry. magic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah I totally sorry, didn't catch no, that's that. that's a good pun, yeah. Oh, and I the, the other like side that. of that, uh, <laughs> also, I, um, so when you pull back the um, LSAS dump, back to the uh, attacker system. I also used another tool. Um, it's called PyPyCats, PyPyCats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah. think by um, someone named Skelsec, I think is their handle. Um, and it's basically what he did is he rewrote uh, Mimikatz or a lot of Mimikatz functionality in Python. Mm. So because my backend uh, is running Python, it was, I was able to import those functions 
So when you get the LSAS back, LSAS dump back on the uh, attacker system, you can instantly dump out the credentials uh, using Hypecats, which is the Python Mimikatz implementation. Hmm. So that's fresh. Super, super useful pairing there. So yeah. have you been getting a lot of like network stuff recently? I saw you made a tweet about um, a lot of like app and API stuff that you've been doing recently. Is that the majority of your work now? Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, something that I've noticed where I think this year, I think I've spent about uh, 20% of my time maximum doing network pen testing and about 80% on apps and APIs. So definitely uh, my heart is in the network, but um where I spend most of my time is doing web app testing and API testing. I've been in the similar boat. Like that's just most of what comes in that I've seen is apps and APIs. I don't really understand it. I guess I don't understand why. Are there just more companies that are making apps and they need that stuff tested? Uh, I think I think that is the answer, but I don't know. Is that yeah? There's just, there's just gen- generally more demand for app testing than network testing. Yeah, I feel like there's more apps than you know in internal networks like in terms of quantity and i feel like um it's harder to organize like an internal pen test versus an app but that's just a guess i don't know yeah well because i guess a lot of people are outsourcing stuff to the cloud now or they just use like gmail like corporate gmail for their email and they have like a OneDrive for all their file sharing and other than that they don't have a company network everybody just sort of uses their laptops mm. that could be the case so it's a lot of like new companies that, oh yeah we just use iCloud for everything or whatever yeah I mean that could definitely be part of the part of what's driving it as well is yeah switching to the cloud and actually just reducing their overall infrastructure in general that they control anyways so you talked about this a little bit about like your reasoning for like being such a big blogger mm-hmm. is because it helps you understand is that like the primary reason why you you know feel passion for blogging or was there something else that kind of led you there to, to wanting to blog so much? Yeah, I would say uh, the primary reason is, I guess, for me to learn more. Um, but also, of course, I think it's important to share with the community as well, because almost everything that I have learned is from, re- from reading other people's blogs, right? I've read hundreds of, of other blog posts by other pen testers, by other researchers, bug hunters, and they've helped me uh, progress my career. Um, so especially whenever I get feedback from, from someone where they'll say, Hey, your blog post really helped me get through this. Mm. Uh, it's a very satisfying feeling to know that, um, by putting that out there, it helps somebody else, you know, I'll take it. That happens frequently. I wouldn't say it happens too frequently, but it does happen every now and then maybe once a month or so I'll get someone who sends me a message or, you know, Twitter or email or whatever. And they'll say, hey, great blog post, or it totally helped me, you know, mm. do this. So, And that always feels really good. Beyond just being, uh, like, blogging and and doing, like, con talks and stuff, you're, like, an actual teacher, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like, teaching yeah, a class really at a college. Right, yeah. So that's kind of a big thing for me, too, is um, I think in March, <laughs> I started teaching a cybersecurity boot camp uh, that's hosted down at DU. Um, uh, University of Denver, or oh, wait, uh, Denver University? University DU Denver? sounds like Denver, Denver University. University. University of Denver, right? But they call it DU? Yes. So that's confusing. confusing. It's confusing. University of Denver. Maybe UD just doesn't sound good. Yeah, UD maybe sounded bad, so they call it DU. But yeah, University of Denver hmm. is where I, I teach it. So it's, um, yeah, and it's been a great experience um, just 
kind of going, I think it's like 24 weeks of cybersecurity. Hmm. I didn't know it was boot camp format. I just thought the class ran six months and it was like part of a big program. But yeah. is it like a solo thing? Like you take the boot camp and that's the thing? Well, I feel like, well, it is, um, you know, 24 weeks. Um, so cybersecurity is such a broad topic that you couldn't do like a week boot camp, right? Like 24 weeks is, is pretty small, mm-hmm. really, to cover all of what cybersecurity is, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a boot camp in the sense that the material is very fast paced. I think that's why, you know, where the boot camp really comes from, as opposed to say taking like a four year degree, right? 24 weeks is very quick. So what, what is the uh, program considered to be like the fundamentals? I mean, you talk about networking, coding, that type of stuff. Um, yeah. So it covers, um, covers bash, it covers Python, it covers crypto, IR, forensics, uh, web vulnerabilities, uh, network pen testing. It covers some certification specific stuff. Uh, yeah, networking. I'm blanking on all of the different topic weeks, but it tries to get kind of that well-rounded base that you need to be a cybersecurity professional. Nice. Is, is it like all book work mainly, or is there lab work? Uh, no, it's mostly labs, mostly hands-on. Okay. Um, we have like you know powerpoints, but um, yeah, most of the the time spent in class is doing hands-on activities. That Are there fun. prerequisites? Like, do you have to apply to get in, or do you have to have like a class? Um, in, in this case, for this one, the, I believe there are some prerequisites, but it's not very aggressive, I guess. I think there isn't uh, a whole lot of assumed knowledge. It kind of takes you from the ground up. I think that's how the course was uh, designed. Oh, okay, cool. So it's, it's written to sort of flow that way. Like when you say they teach you Bash, like they start from... Yeah, it makes the assumption that you haven't seen or heard of Bash. Oh, okay. And, you know, you will have... Students will always benefit from having prior knowledge, um, but if they didn't have knowledge, it's meant to take them from that level and on forward. That's awesome. How do you how do you balance your time? Uh, you know, from working, you know, client engagements to teaching to making slacker to being a dad. Yeah, and being a dad, a new dad. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of challenging, and I feel like. Um, I had to scale back a little bit uh, with what I've been doing um, with the new kind of responsibilities I've taken on where I I can't always get all the things done I want and you just kind of have to triage like, you know, what is the priority right now? So I don't don't think there's a really answer, real answer to like just doing everything. It's just kind of you just kind of have to pick and choose where you want to or where you need to focus your effort most and just go there. Like what is what is your typical schedule look like like throughout the week and like stuff like in terms like so you go to work and then you go home you take care of your family yeah do you, you work study. on your tools in the middle of the night like stay up until two a.m. yeah so I person? I used to that used to be part of my workflow but ever since having the baby um, those like long weekends and all nighters have kind of uh, migrated away so like. Um, I was doing like a lot more research and development uh, on my own personal time, you know, before uh, my daughter came along. But now I find that I don't, I don't really get to spend that much time outside of work hours uh, to kind of, you know, work on uh, pet projects. Hmm. Um, uh, I had something else. Has that changed? I mean, do you, have you felt like a big impact for the better or 
you know, I don't want to say for the worse, but like, has that maybe, I guess, dampened your ability to like dev or whatever? Like, how has it changed, affected your skills or whatever do you feel? Yeah. So I think um, that's kind of, you know, it's very, uh, makes me almost sad to think about it a little bit because I feel like um, my technical ability has taken a bit of a hit um, mm. since I've brought more kind of family uh, focus into my life. But I'm, I'm sure as you know, as a father, it's, it's yeah. well worth it. Um, you know, yeah, I, I might not be the best pen tester or red team or whatever. And, but you know, there are a lot of other things in my life goals that I'm achieving that are more important. So, yeah. And I, I, I wanted you to kind of touch base on that. Cause I mean, I went through the same thing and I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, pen testers who become parents go through that. So I kind of wanted people to see, you know, and kind of have you to be as an example or whatever for people that go through that to see that it's not easy, you know, it's tough and it just happens, you know, Yeah, but yeah. it's for the better. Right. You definitely take a, a career hit, you know, and it's, it's not too bad, but yeah, that outside of work uh, time is, is definitely limited, eliminated or limited. Um, but you know, it's, it's always a trade off, right? You're just choosing yeah. another interest of yours that you find more important. So ultimately it's, it's a good choice and you still feel happy about it. Are you guys both going to Vegas? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there for Black Hat and DEF CON. Nice. Yeah, I'm like, so I'm supposed to um, volunteer for Black Hat, but like since they got bought out, there's like weird stuff going on. They got bought out? Yeah, what? what? Yeah, well, bought out? I thought they got, yeah, it's, they got acquired or something there, right? Didn't they? Something like that? I don't know, this is news anyways, to me. I don't, I don't know, anyways, some, something happened like that where they, they were not sure if they're going to have volunteers or whatever for this one, so like... Oh. I'm still waiting to hear back to see if I'm going to be able to do that, which, and then the black hat was supposed to get me a ticket to DEF CON too. Yeah. So like, I'll be like really messed up if they don't have volunteers basically. But like, you got like your hotel and everything booked. So you're, you'll be in Vegas. Well, I don't know. I don't know because all that was contingent on me being a volunteer for black hat. Oh, okay. Oh, so black hat would have put you up yeah. in a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So all my eggs. Yeah. <laughs> we're in one basket sorry we keep talking about eggs that's all right it's a, <laughs> it's a meme from land before time if you ever seen that oh yeah i love that movie do you know do you know the part with the the two guys that were after the eggs the two like velociraptor looking i, I remember it you gotta listen to the song the song is just yeah I'll ha you know what i'll have to introduce my daughter to, to that movie it's a great movie yes yep. and it teaches will. the basics of life like eating three egg three meals with eggs a day i believe right thrice, thrice. a day <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> goldcast is big on eggs right 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 so vegas is gonna be fun i'm looking forward to it um i'm co-instructing the black hat class um that's gonna be pretty fun um we, we're doing the booth which uh i got to peep a call on earlier so it sounds like it's gonna be pretty cool the booth uh last year was like graffiti themed and i guess they're doubling down on that this year and doing the same theme but bigger so it's cool there's gonna be like lock picking and stuff i guess they're doing some video just like both the justins barry and win are mm -hmm. just gonna be doing like hands-on stuff nice so it'll be pretty cool i think uh bryce sent me the number before we came in. i think it was like 1503 was the booth number so if anybody wants to come visit the coal cast booth or yeah, coal, yeah. coal fire booth coal fire oh yeah it's, it's all for coal cast yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's we've taken coal, over the coal fire booth we might be there though we might be doing some live coal cast <laughs> and we don't know Who selfie knows? cam if you make it if you don't get shut down because we black hat yeah. got bought out or I something know, right? i'll sleep in the storm drain i know i'll sneak <laughs> in some kind of way yep <laughs>
Esma, I was going to ask you, who are some of the influential people in your life uh, in terms of pen testing? I mean, even in life, but um, in terms of pen testing. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really hard question. And I think I know definitely one of the people who influenced me was um, when I got my first sock job. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about security. Um, but I went through the interview and I like, you know, I tried my best and there was a lot of things I couldn't answer. But, you know, I was like, hey, I'll research that, um, you know, I'll, I'll look into that. And I ended up not getting a call back. Um, and then a, a few months later, they did call me back and they brought me in because of, you know, staffing shortages or whatever. They're like, OK, who do we got on the list? <laughs> right. And part of the reason that I got in there was um on that interview panel, there was, you know, two people and one of them didn't really believe in me. And one of them did. He said, hey, I think this guy actually has a lot of potential. Um, and during that first job I had, I feel like I grew so much. And I feel like uh, that that manager that I had was always there to support me. Like he never tried to say, oh, you know, like just focus on staring at the alert console. Don't go and try to do these other things. Um, he kind of just let me be really free with what I wanted to learn. And I felt like kind of fostering that uh, is kind of what got me to where I wanted to be is that I was kind of allowed to go and, and learn these new things instead of saying, oh, no, you, you come in, you, you stare at the alert console, right. you click on the alerts. No, it was like he was uh, really supportive. Uh, and I just I grew so much uh, technically while I was there that I feel like just having I feel like having good managers is just such an important part uh, of just progressing your career um it can be like a make or break uh situation is is depending on you know how how much your manager is there to support you so um that manager i had was was great and i feel like that helped me a lot managers are super important um i don't remember who it's from but there's that quote like people don't quit jobs they quit bosses yeah yeah that's super important and also just like more senior technical people yeah or, or people that are like your peer but a little bit more senior that's super important too um you're a senior now yeah yeah yep. you've been senior for like a year now right um or, i can't remember what date but yeah it's been about a year maybe that's that brings up like well, something yeah, not quite a year maybe like nine months but yeah yeah um that is something i wanted to talk about a bit like uh and we've spoken about it before briefly and i think it's a, a great topic for having you on um what do you think is more important or I guess like most important in terms of moving up the chain? Do you think it's technical knowledge? Do you think it's, you know, putting in your timesheets on time or mm -hmm. responding to emails? Like what makes a senior, right? Yeah, I definitely think it depends on the organization. Um, but one of the things that I can say um, is when I look at my job title, it doesn't say senior pen tester. It says senior consultant. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like consulting is the kind of the priority um so having technical skills obviously extremely important for what we do um but being able to get your reports done quickly being able to interact with the clients and make them feel satisfied um communicate information very clearly to your clients and uh to your project manager uh, those are all um core consulting um kind of ab abilities that i think come into play more. Um, so yeah, as, as important as technical skill is, I think definitely progressing has a lot to do um, with the, the soft skills, I think is, is pretty important. 
Do you do a lot of that, like uh, consulting with the client? Because I've noticed, at least for myself, the number of debrief calls I'm on, it's getting a lot smaller. Like I haven't been on a lot recently. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think it's unfortunate because I think the client always benefits from a debrief. I think Mm -hmm. they're always better off uh, when they do a debrief. So one of the things that I had done is kind of on my boilerplate email is I, instead of asking them if they want to debrief, I ask them to schedule a debrief rather than saying, oh, you can do it or you can't do it. Um, Just rather kind of put the, uh, um, I guess, what would you say? Like the onus? Like pass the buck to them, I guess? No, not pass the buck. What's it called when something is like opt in or opt out? Like put it more, you know, kind of imply that it's something that should happen um, and it's up Mm. to them to say, oh, I don't want to, rather than kind of saying like, oh, you can or you can't. Um, because yeah, there's always a lot of value I think that comes out of the debrief. It's probably one of the most valuable parts mm-hmm. of the process because um, a lot of times, you know, I think reports might kind of get pushed aside or ignored sometimes and being able to explain uh, everything that went on during the assessment, I think is extremely valuable. And for our listeners that don't know what a de- debrief is, can you explain briefly what that is? Right. Yeah. So it's just a meeting with the client to kind of explain what happened uh, during the penetration test, kind of, in a way, walking through uh, what the report says to, you know, to kind of give them uh, more context and give them the ability to ask questions and receive answers. I think that's super important. Yeah, and then also just like pre-brief, I guess, just a brief at that point, like pre-pen tests consulting. That's something that I wish there was a lot more of. Um, I've noticed that, and I don't know if this goes across you know, pen testing companies or if this is a coal fire thing, but the pen testers don't get involved very early in the process. Like we're kind of late to the party on scoping and stuff. Mm. Right. Yeah. Typically we're, we come into the picture after scoping, um, which can cause hiccups as I'm sure we all know. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just that initial, we call it the kickoff call, I believe. Charter. Yeah. Or the charter call. Um, There is a lot of value there. And I found that a lot of, problems during the testing can be avoided by asking the right questions during the charter call yeah it's it's a shame when you see like pen testers that it's their time during the charter call to ask questions and like <laughs> i don't have anything it's like no you need to know yeah. about the network you need to know about the app like what's it written in? why did you know what how's it work mm-hmm. i've been asking clients recently to set up demo meetings with me where they demonstrate functionality of the app and it's amazing like oh, a lot of them are really open to it yeah. Like they're like, okay, yeah, just 30 minutes with someone to show you how it works. And it increases the quality of the test a lot, I found, because I know like what to look for. So, right. Yeah. It's easier to detect flaws in business logic when you know what the business logic is. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that way your test is more than just fuzzing. You yeah. Know, like business uh, logic stuff is super important. Mm-hmm. That's where you find most of the good stuff. Like, right. The yeah. stuff the scanners won't find, basically, mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. <clears throat> I was going to ask you some stuff. Um, so, like, who is who is who would you say like is your community that you like talk to frequently? Um, you don't have to name drop. I was just curious. Like, yeah, yeah no, no, no. I mean, um, yeah, uh, Frank. I, I talk to him a lot, and he has a lot of um, you know knowledge that that we you know will exchange to kind of give each other ideas on on how we like. Hey, I have this misconfiguration. I have no idea how to exploit it. You know, what are some of the stuff that you've done? Is like, oh, did you try, you know, using this? And say, like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. And it can be pretty helpful to just, uh, you know, get a little help sometimes uh, from your peers. 
Discord and Slack and stuff are really valuable for that. Right, yeah. Just having some sort of like team chat platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about like different platforms you use. I know Discord. Yeah, so I use Discord. Um, you know, I'm actually not too chatty on the chats lately. I know uh, there are a bunch of amazing Slack channels that baby I've heard life. of. Huh? <laughs> that baby got you. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> no, I know there's like a lot of like a bunch of Slacks that I actually wanted to join. Like I keep hearing about the... Uh, bloodhound slack which i've heard is really good but i haven't actually participated there um but yeah i definitely i think that's a good way um to interact is yeah using you know slack discord microsoft teams whatever yeah netsec focused yeah was, uh, was a slack for a while now it's like in heroku or something it's uh mattermost mattermost that's right yeah, yeah i was gonna join that one but i didn't end up actually participating but i've heard that's good as well I feel the same way about a lot of those big ones, like the big channels. They're very valuable if you spend a lot of time in them, but I just don't have the time to hang out in a big group chat all day long, keep up with them, you know? Yeah, sometimes with the bigger the channel, the more noise you get, Mm -hmm. where you kind of have to parse through a lot of messages to actually find um, something that's you know, relevant to what you want to know or what you want to talk about. Or just spend all day like reading it constantly. Every time a notification pops up, oh, got to check it. Yeah. It just seems exhausting. Yeah, it definitely can be. I was going to ask a little bit more about like your upbringing uh, stuff. So like, what was it like for you growing up? Like, where are you from? Yeah, Um, so I'm from um, just a rural town in Northern California. Um, I think there's was only like, 15,000 people or something. So pretty small town. Um, whenever people ask how small it is, I'm like, we don't have a Walmart. So like, okay, oh. that's small, right? Wow. Um, yeah. So definitely um, technology wasn't really at the forefront of, of what I knew I had available to me. There wasn't any like high school STEM program, you know, mm-hmm. those things didn't really exist at all. There was a very limited kind of IT exposure um, how did you get your food with no Walmart and they hunted <laughs> together? We had a Safeway. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. really, Safeway was basically the central hub of the town. Like okay. that's where you met everybody. Is at the Safeway. I was. I'm imagining like people walking around in pelts and like Winterfell. <laughs> and, like, yeah, we go back to our caves and the great oak tree is where they all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. But mm-hmm. um, so you know, high school we did have some you know programs, but it wasn't. Uh, there wasn't really any of this like high-end computers and STEM programs and stuff that we have, you know, nowadays. Um, so I didn't really get too much into technology um, when I was in, in high school. And then after that, I, I still was interested in computers. So I went and uh, was going to the college and taking IT classes there. Um, and then uh, after doing about like two years of college and um I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, and I had a lot of friends who didn't go to college, uh, just go and join the military because, you know, mm-hmm. that's just the thing to do when you don't know what you're doing. Um, so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing either. So I guess I'll join <laughs> the military too. Uh, so I went and joined the Air Force. Um, and one of the things that I am really happy that I did is when I joined the Air Force, I joined with a guaranteed job which is something most people do not do. Um, usually you enlist and they just give you a job, you know, like the sorting mm-hmm. hat or whatever. They just put it on you like, you're <laughs> avionics, you know, or like whatever. Um, but no, I decided, I looked through all the available jobs and I saw one that was basically like a sysadmin type thing. 
Um, and that was, you know, I added that to my list. I saw one that was like a programmer. I put that on my list. So I said, hey, I want to join the Air Force and I want to do these things. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, you're going to have to wait. I was like, I'll wait then, you know. So it was probably one of the smartest decisions I made. Thank you for your service. See, I didn't know that you had actually served. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I did active duty and then I was also in the reserves for a while as well. At what wow. point did the uh, radioactive Shiba Inu bite you and turn you into newbie? Yeah, so I picked up the newbie handle, I think, in yeah. in 2015. And honestly, I don't have a very interesting story. Um, my dad has a dog, uh, and he named it Noopy, which is I just thought it was Aww. really funny because it's like Snoopy, right, without the S. And I don't know, I was just like registering for some site, and I needed a new handle. And I was like, uh, what do I, you know, I didn't want to use one of my old ones that I used when I was a teenager, so I'm like, uh... I think maybe I looked at the dog and I was no. like, that's it, Noopy. <laughs> what kind of dog was it? I just, uh, just a mutt. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I actually don't really like the dog very much at all. <laughs> I just stole its name. <laughs> that, that is not what I expected yeah. like from the Noopy handle. I thought it was like a no-op joke. Like a... No, no, there really is not a whole lot of uh, <laughs> significance to it. It's just my dad's dog. I was expecting <laughs> a lot more depth as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I added the zeros <laughs> to make it look leet. But okay. I mean, the core of it is basically just... I stole the dog's name. Well, right. I guess you made the the name, I guess, <laughs> there. <clears throat> so um, I have a, a segment that is just really two points um, that I wanted to talk about, something that we spoke about on the last episode. We were talking to Dan and Marcello about ThoughtCon um, and why it's called ThoughtCon, T-H-O-T. <laughs> um, I figured it out. I Googled it. It's uh, th- short for 312, which is the area code, or three. Something like that. Three one two three oh two. Oh, okay. So yeah, you know, the more you know. Huh. That's Good that's my entire yeah. correcting segment. Um but I did uh want to bring up the fishing episode criticism stuff that we talked about <laughs> a bit earlier. Mm. So we received um like feedback, I guess you could say, from the Manchester office, I believe is where it came from. And keep in mind this is like hearsay on hearsay, so I don't know the specifics, but I'm curious to get your take on it because you said you had some thoughts too. Yeah, so I think the only thing that I um when I listened to it, I, I felt I disagreed with a little bit was um, you mentioned that you like to kind of roll your own phishing server rather mm-hmm. than use a framework. And actually, I like to do that too. I think it's super useful. Um, but you said that like GoFish and Metasploit Pro don't necessarily capture all the metrics that you needed. And I believe they do. I know with GoFish, you can get IP, you can get the user agent, you can get the full Git or post parameters. Um, so, um, as there are definitely advantages to rolling your own, but I feel as far as like capturing, uh, those metrics, you can actually get that with a lot of these frameworks. Huh. So that was my only take, like thing I wanted to add on to it, I yeah. guess. No, that's, uh, that's appreciated feedback. And it's true that I just maybe don't know how to use, like, I've never really looked into MSF pro, uh, training and I've never used the GoFish stuff. So... I don't know. GoFish is something I should check out if it can do all yeah, that. Yeah, GoFish is quite good. And yeah, you can download the raw data. Nice. Um, which gives you basically that information that you get out of like the Apache log or whatever. That's what did, awesome. What did they actually say in Manchester? So what I heard was um, at some point... Oh, sorry. I keep <laughs> kicking this thing. <laughs> uh, at some point, what I heard was uh, we said something. I think it was me that said it. Um, it was that, pretty sure it was you. Yeah, <laughs> well, because I was, I was the one talking a lot. Yeah. Um, that they like it can lead to customers getting different experiences for fishing like different customers will get different pen testers who do fishing differently so therefore they will get different results and 
essentially that that's a bad thing is what they said. Hmm. And I don't agree with that. I think that's a great thing because it means that, you know, you're likely to see stuff that you wouldn't normally see on an engagement prop, like possibly, right? Like you might get the pen tester that has a crazy idea that would work in a real fish. So you want to test it. Like you don't want everything to be the standard same campaign. You want variants. Like for example, spearfishing via service right now is really popular. That's something that's on the MITRE ATT&CK framework that I just read recently, like phishing people through Facebook, phishing people through LinkedIn. a LinkedIn message. Yeah, yeah that's huge right now. It works sure. really well, too, because people are trained to, like, you know, be suspicious of emails. But when they see, you know, a, a person's picture and names and they see they have connections on LinkedIn, it's like, oh, it, it adds a lot of legitimacy. So it's super popular right now. And if you were to get a pen tester that, you know, tries to give that company like the idea like hey what do you think about me fishing you through linkedin that's awesome you know there's nothing wrong with that yeah. so that's all i wanted to address with that but hearing your feedback about the uh, ip stuff is is cool too for like gofish yeah i think yeah gofish is is definitely um it's it's actively developed too so there's constantly oh, nice. like new stuff coming into it so i think um i haven't used every fishing framework but um i think it's a very good one the biggest reason I don't use the existing frameworks that we have is because we just don't have enough resources. Like you might have seen the email that came out from one of our pen testers. Right, yes. It was like, hey, I need someone to release some of this infrastructure because I have a phishing engagement coming up that I need to use it for. So just if you have your own server, like it just makes it way easier. Yeah, I feel like there's actually an easier solution uh, to that problem. Probably just internal stuff, so yeah. we'll go into it. But definitely I think we can solve our resource problems easier. Do you know like a phishing infrastructure resource thing like GoFish or some other name that is your favorite that you would really recommend or? Um, I, I like I like GoFish. I think that's probably my favorite okay. right now. Out of out of what all have you used like Kingfisher? Um, yes, yeah, so there's like Kingfisher. There's of course Metasploit Pro. Um, most yeah, I guess mostly I've just used those. But I've when I first used GoFish, I found it very um, intuitive and I felt like it delivered well so nice i was pretty happy with most of the features have you had fishing gigs at all since we last talked about fishing i had uh i had one and a half okay i know so i had one actually official one where i used go fish and i actually like go fish but it took like a while to figure out how everything was working and then i had another one where i just did the documentation for someone else Oh, that yeah, that left. So oh, okay. So like they already did the gig, and yeah. you just went in and grabbed the, <laughs> the bits. Docs. Yeah, I had to go on there and like figure out what they did, look at their landing page and all that stuff. So did you like it? Did you like your fish? Yeah, it was fun. yeah. What'd yeah. you do? Starbucks. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna crack up when you found out that. Yeah, yeah. I did a Starbucks. <laughs> man, did, yeah. did it work? Uh, no, not really. Oh, really? <laughs> no. So I, wow. I, the the company I did, I think I did like a bank or something. They like they were like locked down. Oh, like they okay. they train their staff. Yeah, really a lot long, of times so. the success of your fish, and this is the way it should be, I guess, isn't really so much of what you craft, but it's like how well the the actual team that you're targeting is trained. Because yep. if they're trained very well, um, even the best fishes, you know, might get identified immediately and kind of taken out. Yeah. Um, which is really what you, we want as the end goal for our clients. Well, and there's the hidden factor too of like potentially clients telling users, hey, you're going to be fish, especially with spearfishes where it's like a specific group of 10 people with very specific job titles are being targeted. Like you never know, right? And then there's things like uh, Outlook telling you, oh, this is from an external sender. Please be wary. Like technology is doing most of the work. Mm-hmm. So 
Although people, I've seen people still ignore those. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is, again, a human training issue. Very true. And then spearfishing via service, of course, eliminates those protections, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a big thing that says it's external because it's coming through LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. So. We um, we talked about, like, your um, fishing tool of choice, but, like, what what's kind of in your toolkit of tools that you, like, really love? Um, uh, just... Or just in general, like, in, in like general. internal, external. Ooh, and I want to hear about your Burp Suite extensions, too, oh, on yeah. top of that. So Burp Suite, I'll just, yeah, pivot to Burp Suite. So um, so the Core Scanner, of course, is pretty good, but um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I like. I like um, Autorize, right? So whenever you're testing uh, access, I guess I'm trying to think of the right word, like access control. Oh, Autorize, uh, okay. Autorize, yeah, yeah. A-U-T. Whatever. Like authorized, but, <laughs> yeah, authorized, but yeah. spelled different. Um, there are quite a few different burp extensions that are built for that. And I don't find any of them to be perfect for what I need, but I feel like Autorize uh, works well enough that it, I think it's my favorite right now. Um, so basically, if you haven't heard of it, it'll um, send a request as, uh, as you browse the site. And then you can configure it to send that same request with a different set of cookies or different headers or whatever to simulate another user and send those without any authentication um, and just kind of compare the responses like, hey, uh, when this user sent this request and this user sent to the request, did it return the same data or did it return different data? And you can kind of see uh, if you're able to request resources that you shouldn't be able to request uh, for your privilege level. So that's that was a great one. Um, I like uh, Volner's. So Volner's is basically, it has like a list of a bunch of regexes for uh, different software versions. So it's a great way to find um, if they're using, you know, outdated software versions. Um, And then retire.js will, you know, get you, you know, your outdated jQuery findings if you're really (laughs) scraping at the bottom of the barrel. That's funny. Yeah, I think there's there's some more that I use. you know, I'm spacing it right Active now. Active Scanner plus plus. Yeah, I don't use Active Scan plus plus too much. Collaborator I, everywhere, so you get errors all yeah, the time. Yeah, when you same try with to. Collaborator <laughs> everywhere. They they do find good findings, but they generally they they send out a lot of extra requests, which can really slow down your scans. So if you have time, it's not a bad thing. But if you're testing a really big app and you're scanning a lot, it might kind of slow you down more than you need. I had uh, to disable the, Collaborator everywhere because yeah. like it just sends all those extra headers and stuff and it ends up causing a lot of websites to just not work. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I, I try not to really use that one as, as much. Um, and then I know there's one, uh, there's a Java deserialization scanner mm-hmm. um, that it's pretty good and it uh, can pick out, um, there's, I know there's one, uh, another one that's similar, it's called Freddy. I think it's, I don't want to name the wrong company, maybe NCC Group, I'm not sure. But um, it's another jo- It's another deserialization plugin, and it can find a lot of uh, fingerprints for other uh, libraries that are uh, vulnerable to serialization issues. So that one can be pretty useful, too. Nice. CO2? CO2? I don't... Or SQL... I don't, I don't use I don't use CO2 too much. Um, I think the only thing I really use that for is doing the um, username generation or the name generation for password sprays. Um, but I think that's what I use CO2 for most. CO2 is a SQL map thing. CO2? Yeah. 
Am I uh, thinking of something else? Mm-hmm. I think so. I thought CO2 had a bunch of different features in it. Maybe it does. I think it has oh. like a username generator too. Hmm. I have to look into it. What about API testing? Do you have like a really solid methodology for that or like a tool that you use a lot for that? Yeah, so for API testing, what I typically like to do um, is get like a postman collection from the client. Um, so that's like the biggest the biggest thing, right? Because otherwise having to like piece together how the API works from like some shoddy documentation, it can it just burns up all your time. So if you can get uh, a postman collection, um, that's preferred. So I'll load that into Postman, of course, and then I will have Postman proxy through Burp. So I'll just kind of leave that passive, and as I go through all of the um, requests that are loaded into Postman, I'll try to go through them and you know do them in whatever order I need. Whether you know I need to auth first and get a token, and then pass it to you know this other parameter in another API request, and just try to step through the API. And then once I have all that in Burp, then I can start doing my fuzzing either automatically or manually. And then um, as far as like testing, you know, other vulns, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit of a, a manual process of just understanding what the API is meant to do and try to think of creative reason ways to exploit that. Like uh, so, t- and that's kind of for like REST APIs is typically what I see most. That's of the, time. the only API type I've ever tested at Coalfire yeah. is REST stuff. Well, be glad. <laughs> yeah, I've tried working with SOAP and stuff for like uh, mm. like CTFs and things. And uh-huh. it's just right, and yeah, I'm not a big fan of SOAP, but I kind of follow a similar similar methodology where I will uh, use SOAP UI and then proxy that through Burp as well. Oh, nice, Postman. Postman it's is like great. Swagger, SOAP right? UI. Like it's the same sort of idea, like documentation. Yeah, I actually don't quite know the difference between these different, uh, like, Swagger and Postman collection, but um, I believe Postman is pretty uh, good at taking a bunch of different types. Like, you can put in curl commands, you can put in, like, Postman collections, you can put in Swagger. Oh, wow. Um, There are quite a bunch of different formats that you can load in, and it will parse it for you. So, Postman is is good. It's designed for doing API testing. It, you know, so or interacting with APIs at least, so it's pretty useful. Internal, internal. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> needs bread and butter. <laughs> like, so I used to be all about PowerShell Empire. That was when I first started pen testing. That was big, and I used it uh, as much as I could on pretty much every engagement. Um, now, as we probably all know, uh, PowerShell logging is here. AMC mm-hmm. is here. Um, so it's made it a lot less viable unless you go really custom with you know modifying it mm-hmm. um so I, i've kind of migrated away from powershell empire so lately i feel like what i've been doing is i still use crack map crack map exec mm-hmm. quite often um, not all the modules really work well anymore because of you know upgrades of av and amc and whatnot um, but i still find um crack map exec one of my go-to's on pretty much every internal assessment so I like that a lot. Um, Metasploit, um, again, one of those that's not quite as useful as it used to be, mm-hmm. um, but I still find pretty much uh, some use for it during every test. And then um, good old Responder, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The reason I use Responder is because it works, mm-hmm. and it pretty much uh, always works. It's not until like a company has their like third or fourth pen test that they really seems like they actually address yeah. <laughs> the underlying vulnerabilities completely uh, that allow that to work. But yeah, Responder paired with um, 
multi-relay or NTLM relay X, um, I find useful on a lot of pen tests. Have you played around at all with the uh, mic drop thing with uh, NTLM relay? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Mic drop. Or mic, uh, I, I don't know. I it's think got it was mic, mic drop. Maybe. It's it's the thing that essentially like you can oh, bypass. I, I do know what you mean. Yeah, it was that was like a, a true legit vulnerability that you could basically bypass SMB signing, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't got a chance to use that. Me neither. I, I, I want to find somebody that's used it so I can be like, tell me about it. Like, right. how, how did it work, right? Because yeah. from what I've heard from my blog posts, it works great. Yeah, I'd, I would love to use that. And I would also love to use um, Priv Exchange. And I have oh. not done either, but hmm. they're both really cool attacks. I got the chance to use Priv um, Exchange and then I found out that they use Office 365. And oh, on no. an Exchange server, I was like, yeah. no. Oh, another... <laughs> Tool that again is relatively already popular but is extremely useful is Bloodhound. I've always pretty much got great success using Bloodhound. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing, um, and that's something that uh, even if I already enable to compromise the domain using some other method, I'll always run run Bloodhound after just because of the good data it provides uh, of all these other attack paths you could have taken as well aside from like the one that you actually took and it's great report like screenshots yeah like the, it, it's yeah. beautiful output great report fodder like you get so many amazing screenshots out of it mm -hmm. i actually wanted to talk about that a bit too and get both you guys' thoughts on this reporting what do you what do you find is like the best way to do this or which do you prefer do you prefer on uh pen tests where you have a lot of findings to document all those findings and have like 10 findings in your report or do you want to have like your top four i think definitely i don't think there's one solid answer to this but for me um i always lean towards having more or less findings with more detail as opposed to having more findings yeah i don't want my pen test reports to be like bone scans is right all. yes yeah. yeah if you just want a list of findings then bone scans are kind of what you can accomplish that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you want to really uh, have Vulns taken to their kind of all the way, um, I think that's kind of, I think that's where a lot of the value comes from a pen test and why you want a pen test and not a Vuln scan sometimes is because you can not only see the Vuln, but see what that Vuln can mean to your organization. Yeah. And not so much just like a theoretical, oh, look, this version has a cross-site scripting bug in it, we think. Based off of the version number. Yes, yeah, that's one of my biggest things on web apps is when I find cross-site scripting, I don't like to... If I don't have time, yeah, I'll put like an alert box, right? But if I have time, I try to see if I can find a way to take cross-site scripting to account takeover or some sort of, you know, bigger impact if I can. What about DOM-based XSS? I, I had that on a pen test recently and I couldn't exploit it. And I think we were talking yeah, about this at some point too. Yeah, and I asked him about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, full, full so circle. DOM-based XSS is extremely valid. I find that uh, when we end up talking about it a lot, it's because of the burp findings, yep. um, <laughs> which I believe, and I'm not 100% sure, I think a lot of times they are false positives, but um, you kind of have to validate that each time. Yeah. I don't, whenever you see those, it's kind of like not a guarantee that the Vuln is actually there. So you kind of have to put some extra effort to actually prove it. The, a lot of the ones that I've seen from burp findings, um, it'll just like analyze the code, the JavaScript code, uh -huh. and be like, we think based off these lines that it's passing this to that. But then actually, as you go and read through the code, uh -huh. it's like there's regexes happening between. So it's like, sure this value is being passed to this other thing 
but first it's removing all the slashes and removing all the periods and stuff, which makes XSS very difficult in practice. Right. Same with um, uh, jQuery. So a lot of times you'll see outdated jQuery, but if they're not using the vulnerable function in a way that can be exploited, um, I mean, it's still a good practice to let them know that they need to update it, um, but real-world risk is very low because they're not using any of those functions in jQuery that are vulnerable or Bootstrap or whatever right, JavaScript yeah. library. That's funny that you asked him yeah. and I asked you, and now I'm asking him again. <laughs> I was going to ask you about like uh, what training material, and this is segueing into certs a little oh, okay. bit, yeah. but what training material uh, do you like and like recommend as someone who is big into CTFs and whatnot? Yeah, so of course the OSCP, right, is a very valuable for learning. Um, there, when I say OSCP, really what I mean is the... Uh, PWK labs, right, right, right. right? Pen testing with backtrack labs. Pen testing with Cali. Sorry, yes. But it probably was PWB. Back, dating yeah. yourself there, backtrack. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no I, think, I think I actually started with Cali. So, when, well, okay. I mean, when I did OSCP, it was with Cali. But yeah, pen testing with Cali. Uh, those labs are amazing. Um, one of my favorites right now, and I think it's extremely, has a good value, is Pentester Lab. Um, Pentester Lab is really good uh for web app training and i'm not sponsored by them at all but they're they're about <laughs> there well, you should be yeah but. maybe yeah the cost the cost is extremely good the amount mm. of quality material you get versus how much it costs is it's totally worth it so pen tester lab i think is something people should look at specifically if they want to learn about uh web application pen testing mm-hmm Nice. And you've done Rasta Labs. And have you done Rasta Labs? I have, I have not. I have, Can you I mean, talk about Rasta Labs a bit? Because you've it sounds like you've been doing it, and I'm interested. Yes. Uh, Rasta Labs is hard. I have not done it. I'm doing it. And me doing it is begging him all day for help. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you were saying you were having trouble with like a Defender yeah. Bypass thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So not to like spoil, spoil it, but there is a, a part of the labs where you have to find like an AMC Bypass or whatever and like... I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but like there's, it goes through like the whole uh, red team walk, like from phishing um, to, uh, you know, bypassing Windows stuff. It's all Active Directory stuff. There's no like looking up version numbers, finding a POC and exploiting, you know, hitting go. So it's all like patched Windows 10 systems. Mm -hmm. That seems valuable. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about Rasta Labs. So I haven't done them myself, but uh, I I feel like. Shout out to Rasta Mouse. Yeah, what please come on the show. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to get him on here. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. It's just uh, he's a little far. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. If we get the coal fire blimp up, we can we can fly him in. Right. <laughs> so Ooh, we'll find a way. Yeah, yeah we can find a way. I'll carry him back. Yeah. Um. So you were talking about... Um, Rust. Training. God, oh, yeah. Training. Yeah, training inserts. Yeah, training. yeah. Did you yeah. have more about that? Uh, about training? I don't, I don't have any other specific training resources. I mean, there's a lot of good free stuff. I feel like um, web apps probably has the best material out there just because how easy it is to emulate them. It's very hard to, say, emulate, you know, Active Directory red teaming, right? There's Rasta labs, but generally the cost associated with setting up those labs is very high. So um, there's less options out there and they're typically pricey. But if you want to learn about web apps, there are so many good resources out there that are relatively low cost. Like Gruyere or something from Google or yeah. Gouda or whatever. It's got some cheese. I don't, I don't like that one, honestly. Oh, really? Well, I haven't used it. Is it yeah, bad? Uh, I wouldn't say it's bad. I just don't like it. Oh, okay. Um, but BWAP is the one I like the most, I think. 
Nice. B-W-A-P-P, B-W-A-P. Broken web app or something. Yeah, something. It's It's got a ton of different vulnerabilities in it to exploit. Huh. Like DVWA is great, but it's kind of dated and there's only like eight different things to exploit. Whereas like BWAP has like 20 plus. I like the old watch juice shop. Oh yeah, juice shop. I haven't done that one. You haven't done yeah. that one. It's I, cool because they have like, a, they're all running out of Heroku stuff. So you just spin it up and just go. Yeah, and go good. and like start now. Uh, you mentioned, and I know you did eLearn security. Yeah. And you, you did the, uh, uh, the new uh, offset training. Uh, I did, no, I didn't. Oh, I thought you one. had that one. Dang, I, I was excited. I was yeah, like, Tell me about I could have swore you no, did that. No, no, I didn't do that one. Well, Eric at, at South Denver's done the the web app training yeah. stuff. Um, I don't know. It sounds like it's a lot of PHP code review, yeah. but that still isn't a bad thing. Like I've had multiple web apps at Coalfire where through some bug, like a, a path traversal thing, I download the source of the app and it's in PHP. And I think it would oh. be useful to be able to go through and like read through the code and be like, oh, okay, I can just rc this real quick so no no it seems useful but maybe yeah not. but you have done other web app trainings uh, i did elearn security uh their web web pen testing extreme um i think it wasn't bad but i don't know it wasn't i guess it wasn't my favorite necessarily but the cost wasn't really that bad either i think it's relatively cheaper mm. uh than other stuff um yeah i don't really have much to say about it I, I didn't go and get the cert or anything so i can't actually speak too much to all of the labs because i didn't do them all or the certification because i didn't do it so but you have the course yeah i just have the course materials have you ever done a sans training before oh <laughs> i think you already know the answer to that one no yeah, maybe i don't know Oh, i have like six sanserts whoa oh, oh yeah is it in your signature or something and i uh actually i don't think i i think i didn't put it in my signature oh we'll see but um <laughs> no yeah i i'm a I used to be a really big sans junkie and i still would be if we got that training in the budget yeah, it's a bit Millions pricey yeah, yeah it's kind of expensive now um but yeah no i've done a lot of sans courses and i i really like their material uh the quality of instruction is very high which ones have you done um i've done uh gpen gcih gcia uh, uh gsec uh gwapt uh gxpn Ooh. I think think that might be all. Nice. Yeah. I've only done GPIC, but I want more. Like Sans, yeah. I I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. I thought it would be more corporate and stuff, but it's really good. Yeah, quality it's training. extremely good material. Yeah, the cost is the killer, but as far as like the quality, it's you're not really going to get too much better as nice. far as quality goes. GWAPT is that a web app one? It sounds yeah. like it. Okay. GWAPT is their first level web app one. There is the advanced one that I want to take as well, but again, budget reasons. You should sign up for the uh, the work study thing. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I actually did already have a request. The only bad thing is they only let you know like a month out. That sucks. Yeah. So like it's very hard to plan for. So I do have a, a request for work study already, and I haven't heard back yet. So nice. I'm thinking about submitting to the Rocky Mountain Sands thing to see if I can get into their mobile app class or the web app, the advanced web app one. Yeah. Because I loved my experience with the work study that I did before. Yeah. Takes it down to like fifteen hundred dollars or something. Yeah, it's it's quite a drop yeah do you do any mobile app testing at Coalfire? honestly i have i have not okay. i haven't done any mobile apps because i know you talked about frank earlier frank did a bunch of mobile apps he taught me some good android stuff that's yeah. the i've done like two android apps ever mm -hmm. and i didn't even i don't even like really know how to explain what i did like it felt like i was following a guide the whole time mm -hmm. mobile apps are like yeah they're they're kind of a, a much smaller piece of the total 
um, just st stuff we have to do. So um, you you don't have them all the time. I know. Mm -hmm. I imagine some shops just have like a mobile guy who just like does all the mobile testing because he's like the one guy who knows about it. But <laughs> yeah, we don't really get enough mobile work for um, us to do them frequently. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, are you talking any cons soon? Like, uh, I don't. I don't have any cons lined up this year. Last year uh, I did quite a few, um, but just with the uh, the new baby and all that, just. Um, I didn't feel like uh, tr you know traveling that much. Uh, I do have a CFP. I just put it in yesterday for B sides Denver, so okay. of course that's local here. Um, but yeah, I don't have anything on the schedule. Nice. Okay. What um what's next for you? So now that Slackers been delivered, what what's your plan for the future? Um, as far as kind of research and development side of things, I don't have anything planned. Um, I feel like I. I kind of overextended myself with all the things I had going on that mm. I'm kind of looking forward to kind of Just taking a bit it. of a break. And then, of course, you know, once I have more free time, then I can start, uh, you know, developing a new tool or just kind of going down some sort of uh, rabbit hole about things I want to learn. But um, right now, I don't have any specific, uh, like, knowledge goals that I'm chasing. Is there a part of your workflow that you're like, wanting to eliminate i guess like what what is, at this point is like routine for you you said you get a lot of apps and apis so. yeah i mean i think definitely there's uh, i feel i'm feeling some app burnout which i think is kind of echoed across our entire industry where um you know it's just a lot of app testing but you know it's uh it's the job <laughs> yeah right Cool. Well, we're at almost an hour and a half. I mean, we could wrap up soon ish. Yeah, yeah. Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, any final topics or questions we want to get out of the way? Yeah, anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plug, plug some stuff. Oh, well, I can't plug everything, but. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's something. Um, any beef hooks, as they would say? Beef hooks, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you, too, have you ever been hacked before? Not that I am aware of. <laughs> I mean, I've probably, probably been hacked, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I have had um, not so much anymore since I've been using password managers, but yeah. uh, certainly before I started using password managers, I have fallen victim to, you know, database breaches and Ooh. password reuse, account compromise. Um, but, you know, I migrated to using a password manager, so those kind of issues have are more or less drying up except for some super old accounts I have that I forgot about. Right on. So uh, this has been super fun. Yeah, yeah. it was a good episode. Yeah. So Thank thanks for coming, for coming on. on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, thanks for watching and listening. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's it for episode six. See you guys next time. This is going to be the last episode until like right before DEF CON and Black Hat. So yeah. see us there, booth 1503. Final plug from me. <laughs> hey, and shout out to Matteo Aronai over at Offset. Love you. Family. <laughs> Ignore Logan. <laughs> yeah. Even though this is here, we're cool. <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs> Take right. care. Cool. Signing out.